This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm happy to be with you on the Thursday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. The president's going to be speaking with another Democratic governor, the governor of New Jersey. Uh, Murphy will be at the White House today. He is going to be opening up the golf courses. They heard your complaints. Uh, And we know in New York, they're going to be opening up some upstate hospitals, which are basically empty. Uh, More and more, we're seeing about 50 to 60 percent of uh, states opening up around the country. And they couldn't come soon enough economically. The numbers are hideous. Now we're up to 30 million filing for unemployment claims since we were told to shelter in place due to the uh, the uh, Chinese virus that has sickened the world. Morgan Ortegas is going to be with us talking about our relationship with China. It's going down the toilet quickly and what the administration hopes to accomplish because it's a downside uh, economically, too. And Fred Fleiss will be with us. Uh, Fred Fleiss, the president of the Center for Security Policy and served as deputy assistant uh, to the president and chief of staff of the National Security Council. Long time associate of uh, John Bolton, too. So we'll talk to both them and take your calls at one 408 7669 Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. Yeah, the problem is the New York Times did a a, a look and they said we did not do with our own investigation and we did not exonerate Joe Biden. Presidential politics, the sexual allegation, assault allegation leveled on the touchy-feely Joe Biden has silenced the Democrats and they've done nothing to tamp down this story as the Biden camp talking points are exposed and his supporters scripts revealed. Number two. Why didn't we learn this before? Bob Mueller spent all this taxpayer dollars, did this big, long investigation, was supposed to be the end-all, be-all. Why didn't we learn this before? This is so wrong what they did to General Flynn, so wrong what they tried to do to the President of the United States. And what Jim Jordan's referring to is Mike Flynn, three-star general, national security advisor for a few days, was the victim of an FBI takedown as notes emerged showing a plot to entrap him and with more to come today. Will anyone but Fox cover this? They all reveled in the trial. What about is and his exile? What about now? Number one. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. What it has proven is that a drug can block this virus. Uh, that is uh, Anthony Fauci, state by state, standing up, president's restrictions letting up, and the medical breakthrough that Fauci just referred to has the stock market going up at least. For now, so remdesivir looks good in some trials. Uh, the numbers look pretty strong. If you do that with uh, 
hydroxychloroquine, you see that we're starting to make some progress. Also, there's some major progress to note when it comes to vaccines. A lot of reason to feel uh, optimistic that something could get done. But the bad news for us is that China is trying to beat us there. And where it is, we're in a flat-footed tie. We do not want them to be the hero in this. And we do not want to be susceptible and on the hook for getting that uh, vaccine. Because I'm flat out right now, most American people uh, will not take it. Uh, they, will not, uh, they will not trust it. The FDA has ongoing talks with Gilead to make remdesivir available to current coronavirus patients as quickly as possible. So that's going to be good news for that stock. We all know that. So uh, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening. We know Oxford and we know Pfizer are working at warp speed to rush some type of vaccine forward. It couldn't come soon enough. If you want to help the country, you want to be known as the person that worked the Manhattan Project of uh, this vaccine, of this pandemic, go ahead and uh, be the one. Meanwhile, on Michael Flynn, you've been covering the story for years. He was a constant guest on this show and on Fox News. When he got fired by Barack Obama, it was almost a badge of honor. He did not like the way President Obama was not taking on Islamic extremism. He took them as a, a, a gang of bandits when he said it's an Islamic uh, radical movement. So little by little, after 2012, when he was hired, by 2014, he was fired. Uh, so bad was that relationship. When Barack Obama got together with President Trump, he said two things. He said, look out for North Korea, and you better keep your eye on Mike Flynn. Really? You're that worried about Mike Flynn? You're worried about his security risk? Now, let's see. You had to get rid of CIA Director Petraeus. You had to get rid of McChrystal. But you're that concerned about Michael Flynn. There's something to that. I cannot wait to hear from the Lieutenant General. I have a sense that he'll do our show and he'll come on and talk about it. But how bad is it? I'm not talking about opinion. I'm talking about handwritten notes. I'm not even talking about whose printer they used. Handwritten notes written by the FBI's former head of counterintel, Bill Priestep, after meeting with James Comey and former Deputy Director Andy McCabe. Yeah, that one further suggests the agents planned an alternative to an alternatives to get Flynn to admit to breaking the Logan Act when he spoke to the Russian ambassador during his presidential transition period. You know, the Logan Act, if you do stuff to circumvent our country's national interests, you can be prosecuted. We've never had a prosecution on it. And then we found notes written by precept that said, uh, what is our goal? Are we trying to get him to tell the truth, admit that he lied so we can prosecute him or get him fired? Question mark. What is the goal? Uh, can you tell me? Other parts of this transcript are equally damning. And meanwhile, you see that the Lisa's, uh, Lisa Page was coaching Peter Strzok on how to interview Michael Flynn to make sure Michael Flynn did not know he was being investigated, to make sure he did not ask for attorney, and to get by Ryan's Priebus so it didn't raise any flags and they can get in there and find out about a conversation that they had little interest in the content with Ambassador Kislyak, just that he made it because they want to get rid of him. I wish I was telling you this is some crazy plot like the many plots out there, like the Kennedy assassination, when we know it was uh, one shooter or whatever. Now with Michael Flynn, more paperwork will be revealed today. So here's Sidney Powell. Last night was Sean's TV show, Cut 22. Sean Hannity. The documents I've seen so far, in addition to the ones you have in your hands now, are even more stunning. It's just Absolutely appalling what these agents and then the special counsel operation did to General Flynn. It's abuse of their authority at every turn. 
I can't thank Attorney General Barr and Mr. Jensen and Mr. Durham enough for having the integrity and fortitude to get to the bottom of this, because that's what it takes. These documents weren't easily discovered. The emails have been in the FBI the whole time, but the handwritten notes, as I understand it, may not have been. Who leaked the story that Michael Flynn, on, I believe in Puerto Rico, taking a few days vacation, made a call to Ambassador Kislyak or took a call from Kislyak, at which time they talked about the sanctions the Obama administration uh, put on belatedly for their uh, meddling in the election. And he wanted to make it clear, listen, when we start, it's going to be a clean slate. Uh, don't overreact to these sanctions. I think that goes on all the time. I don't have a problem with it. They uh, wanted to reset the relationship, much like some other administration, like Obama administration after uh, President Bush ended badly with Vladimir Putin. So who planted that story in the Washington Post? Is that part of the same circular hit job that they did with the Mueller report? They put a story in the press. They used that as intel and a predicate in order to surveil people like Carter Page and others around Trump's orbit. More from Sidney Powell, Cut 23. We still don't know exactly who the author of those is, but they're devastating evidence of the lengths they were willing to go to to disregard all prior protocols, all prior rules, their standard practice in other cases to warn of a 1001 violation, all of that. None of that applied to General Flynn. They had only special violations of every protocol known for him because they were determined to take him out. I don't want to uh, take up too much time away from Morgan Ortegas because I want to talk about China and what the administration's doing. But what you should understand is this. Michael Flynn was a war hero. Of course, he was brusque. He was direct. Some people didn't like his style. Uh, Join the club. People didn't like General Kelly's style. People don't like Petraeus' style. People don't like McChrystal's style. They didn't like Patton's style. Uh, You can go back in time. So what? One of the things he did is kill Sir Cowie. He has a real understanding of Islamic extremism, understands uh, global actions. I think he would have been a great national security advisor. Who knows how long he would have lasted with President Trump. But he didn't end up, shouldn't have ended up in purgatory. According to Judge Napolitano, he told me today that they believe that Michael Flynn has $6 million, $6 million of legal fees. So he takes a plea and he's cooperative. And they say, okay, because you're cooperative, Lieutenant General, we are going to recommend probation. And then he realizes, starting to realize, and we don't know the true story yet, he got totally screwed and he got uh, bombarded and he got ambushed. And they said, where's my legal team? They're terrible. I'm going to fire them and I want to retry this case. They say, if you retry the case and you fire your legal team, we are going to recommend jail time. He said, okay, go ahead and recommend jail time. So the prosecution did. So he gets a new legal team in, and it's Sidney Powell who leads it. And they begin to unearth these documents along with a real attorney general, Attorney General Barr. And they find out there was plotting and planning to take him down eventually to get to the President of the United States. And guess who's behind it? James Comey. Such a lack of self-awareness. Of course, he's sanctimonious, never does anything wrong. The way he describes himself is sickening when facts are totally different. Listen to the way James Comey described the takedown of Michael Flynn, cut 21. Why is he lying? Do you know the answer? I still don't know the answer to that. So, again, I have a limited vantage point. But it was clear that he was lying, that he lied to two FBI agents on the 24th of January in the Situation Room in a conference room. And it was clear that he was lying. But the why was really interesting to us, and I didn't get that. I wouldn't tell you that answer if I found it, but I didn't get it before I left, was fired in May. 
And he talks about it a little bit later, and I'll play it for you, being set up and saying in the previous administrations, Obama never would have let me talk to his national security advisor without legal counsel or at all, uh, nor would George Bush. But there was so much chaos with Trump before he took over, we thought we could take advantage of it. And they talked about what they would say if Flynn said, am I in trouble? Should I get a lawyer? They had all prompts as if it was a, uh, a, a rookie salesperson. What to say if there's an objection? Why are you setting up this general? When we come back, I'll be joined by Morgan Ortegas. I want to talk about what our policy is in China now. It's so aggressive, we're asking for some type of remuneration for poisoning the world, especially us. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Those claims are preposterous. They present an out-and-out political farce. First of all, asking China to make reparations or these kind of claims, they have no legal basis. There is no international law that supports blaming a country for simply being the first to report a disease. How sickening is that? Li Chung uh, who is the Chinese vice foreign minister, saying they were just the first to report the disease, not as if it emanated from their ridiculous wet markets or their Wuhan lab, which mysteriously we gave money to. Well, that is after a series of shots from the Secretary of State and the President about China's irresponsibility to reporting this. Morgan Ortegas joins us now, State Department spokesperson, longtime uh, friend of the network and the channel and of ours. Morgan, welcome back. Thank you so much, Brian. It's great to be with you. So I didn't know China was just the first to report it. We should give them some more credit. I feel bad. I haven't given them the credit they deserve. How, how unbelievable is that statement, or is it? So uh, here's, here's the, the problem. It's, it's not about reporting it. It's about the fact that to this day, uh, what are we? Are we the, April 30th, right, the end of April, 
Uh, do you know, Brian, we still do not have credible, independent investigators, scientists, uh, doctors who could go into uh, into China, review the data independently. By the way, all of this stuff is normally peer reviewed by, uh, you know, by other doctors and scientists uh, to help determine what happened in the earliest stages of this virus, where exactly it emanated from. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party has told us uh, that it emanated from the wet labs. Now, but they have not provided, uh, to the best of our knowledge, the live virus samples. They haven't uh, provided the data that one would normally pr- provide uh, when they have a theory so that other independent, credible journalists, uh, excuse me, uh, scientists can, can back that up. And so the fundamental problem of all this, so, you know, if your listeners are saying, well, okay, why should we care? Here's why we should care. It all boils down to this one central question, and that is, how do we prevent a pandemic of this scale from ever happening again? And we can't answer that question if we'd never learn the true origin of this virus. That's the, that's the fundamental question that the world has to answer that we still cannot answer, Brian. Morgan, here's the thing. I'm wondering, we kind of knew the outrageous nature of this. We knew the WHO even had trouble getting in there. We knew we weren't on the ground and they weren't being transparent. Why the offensive Mm -hmm. now by the president and your State Department to go after them so directly? So I think that our job at the State Department, Secretary Pompeo, and and our our job is to put public pressure uh, on Chinese uh, officials until they actually open up and give the world the data that they need. You know, people probably weren't paying attention, but we actually started evacuating Americans out of Wuhan back at the end of January. While people were enjoying the Super Bowl and watching that, our American diplomats and foreign service officers were, were evacuating Americans out of Wuhan. And we, uh, and, and Secretary Pompeo, as uh, early as, I have to find the earliest statements, it's at least in February, maybe in January, uh, he started saying publicly, hey guys, we're not getting the data and the transparency that we need from China. So people are certainly paying attention to it now. Uh, but in this administration, we have sought, you know, for, for the past almost four years uh, to hold China accountable. It, and it's not been about having a, an adversarial relationship with them, but President Trump very rightly early on in the beginning of his administration, before I even joined, when I was still at Fox, you and I would talk about this, Brian, that the national security strategy uh, laid out China as a, as a global uh, strategic competitor. And, and we started finally uh, calling, for the, calling the world as it is, not how we want it to be, not the China that we, that we hope uh, is, is presented to the world, but the China that actually is there. This is a China, by the way, that has been uh, persecuting religious minorities throughout this COVID-19 crisis, uh, making churches take uh, crosses or take them down off the, off the steeple or lower them. They have a million Muslims locked up in camps. Uh, some reports say that these Muslims are being starved to death in some of these camps. I mean, this is an insane behavior. Can you imagine, Brian, if any other country in the world had a million Muslims or a million Jews or a million Christians yeah. locked up for their faith? But the world is silent. But, but, but this is, I'm just so curious, have you, can you reveal any conversations we've had with our allies to change their behavior towards uh, the, towards China, especially when it comes to economics. There was a report, yeah. I believe, by the Secretary of State that the U.K. has changed their position on Huawei. Uh, have others? Is that true? And have others? Yeah, great, great question. So first of all, let me just highlight Secretary Pompeo uh, get, uh, highlighted Australia. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Yesterday at the State Department podium, Australia came out a few days ago earlier this week and said uh, that they would like uh, that they believe there should be an investigation into the origins of this disease. Right. Simple statement that is, is just fact based. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party came out and threatened them. So we have, of course, backed them up and supported them. You know, any country should be able to call for an investigation and not be threatened by the CCP. We've also seen uh, Merkel from Germany call for an investigation. We've seen tough statements out of uh, out of uh, UK, uh, the United Kingdom, out of France. So for me, it has been interesting um, to see, you know, my colleagues and I who work so closely on, on this issue, uh, to see the world finally waking up to what Mike Pompeo has been warning about these past two years as Secretary of State, you know, talking about the, the risk behind 5G networks like Huawei that are beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, the risk of the One Belt, One Road initiative, right, which is uh, which is where they are right. giving, uh, quote-unquote, loans to the developing world. It's, it's, it's akin to being in business with a with gotcha. loan shark. Maureen, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Best of luck consolidating our allies. Fred Flight's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You look at this White House now and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the state room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. Yeah, that sound good. James Comey talking about how proud he is that he set up what I believe Michael Flynn, as a report show, that they weren't looking to get to the bottom of some Washington Post story. They were looking to get him fired. Fred Flights is president of the Center for Security Policy and served as deputy assistant to the president and to the chief of staff of the National Security Council, longtime confidant of John Bolton. He previously held national security jobs with the CIA, the DIA, the Department of State, and the House Intelligence Committee. Fred, I'm looking at these notes. I'm so glad that you were booked on the show today. What do you think about these handwritten notes that reveal... Uh, Baker, Precept, uh, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, and Page, all working, it seems, to take down Flynn. Brian, it's good to be here. I I don't think I've ever seen an instance where people basically, lawyers write out, we are going to frame this guy. 
that basically we're going to trick him into lying. I've never heard of a case. I've seen experts on, on TV, well, only on Fox, not on the other networks, saying this morning that this is just extraordinary. This is more than a smoking gun. Uh, it is. And when you find out, they were, all, they were curious about a Kislyak call with, uh, with Michael Flynn. He's doing a million calls. He's on vacation, takes a call. They go back and forth. And one of the conversations was, listen, I know they just hit you with sanctions. When we come in, I'm going to look to have a fresh start or something like that. Well, number one, how did they get an intercept? Number two, how did the Washington Post get the story? And I'm just wondering, we already saw this game plan already. You give it to the press, you use that as evidence that there might be something with Papadopoulos on Carter Page, and you go after these guys. Do you think this possibly, the press could be colluding with the FBI? He'll give you this story, now I'll have something to fo- follow up with with the Washington Post, and then we'll get out Flynn once and for all? I think that's very likely. Remember that very sensitive NSA reporting on Flynn's discussion with Kislyak was leaked to the press. This, this was a serious violation of the law. And I'm sure that the, that the reporters were lined up for that leak. Who in the Obama administration or in the intelligence community did that? I mean, to say this guy set up is an understatement. Every possible effort was taken. I mean, you know that President Obama, just before he left the White House, told President Trump that he, he warned about two people, Kim Jong-un and General Flynn. I mean, this guy was, there, there was a target on his back by the left. Do you know the reasons why? Because one, I heard that he was extremely critical of the administration's policies when it came to fighting al-Qaeda and ISIS. He says these aren't just a band of gangsters. This is a worldwide movement. They don't seem to get that. So when you're critical of the president, he's going to get rid of you. But they seem obsessed with him. The Defense Intelligence Agency under Flynn was an outlier. It didn't go along with the rest of the crowd. On North Korea's nuclear program, they claimed that they were enriching uranium, and they were right. They didn't like the nuclear deal with Iran, which is a big deal uh, for, for Obama. And Flynn wanted to reorganize the intelligence community and downsize the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. This made him a lot of enemies, Brian. Interesting perspective. So I'm writing, reading your column and the Senate does their Intelligence Committee report. They finally release it. And James Comey thinks he's exonerated. It showed the Russians did want to influence our election. And they said that the conclusion was that they wanted Donald Trump to win. You say, hold on a second. Why? Well, we've discussed this in Fox & Friends, this strange January 2017 Intelligence Committee analysis that said the Russians meddled and did so to help Trump win. Well, the House and Senate Intelligence Committees came out with reports with different conclusions. The Senate said all the rules were followed. There was nothing wrong with this assessment. But as I've told you previously, there was a lot wrong with it. Only three agencies were asked to write it. A hand-picked group of two dozen analysts were involved. And of, of that group, only three drafted the thing, and they were all colleagues of Brennan's. Now, I've spoken to staff members of the House Intelligence Committee and members, and they said, look, we found that there was intelligence that the Russians wanted Clinton to win and Trump to lose that Brennan suppressed over the objections of CIA analysts, and that there was weaker intelligence that the Russians wanted Trump to win, that Brennan included over the objections of CIA analysts. Now, Brian, this is in an unpublished House Intelligence Committee report that's been sitting at the CIA since the fall of 2018. And I think one way or another, that report has to get out. 
You said uh, uh, Brennan team included low-quality intelligence that failed to meet intelligence community standards to support the political claim that the Russian officials wanted Trump to win. You point out there were quality intelligence tests and Putin actually wanted the more predictable and malleable, malleable Clinton to win the 2016 election. Bottom line is, you know what also the Senate intelligence report said? That there's no proof that the Trump administration or Trump campaign colluded with the Russians. Wasn't that the whole premise of the whole thing, let alone the fact that they wanted, they might have wanted them both to win or both to lose or just to create the chaos in which they got? Well, I will tell you, the House Intelligence Committee staffers also said that they were told there was some evidence that the Russians didn't care who won. They just wanted to mess with that democracy. I didn't include that in my op-ed. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. The Russians don't care who, who the president is. They hate our country. They want to undermine our system. But the reason, according to the House Intel staffers, that they wanted Clinton to win is because she was a known quantity. And they were worried that Trump was not just an unknown quantity, but he would bring anti-Russian hawks into the administration. That's what these staffers were told by intelligence officers. That's what has to get out. So I had a chance to speak to a guy you're close to, John Bolton, and I asked him about the pandemic office. He says that was his call. He said, because the same way you fight a pandemic, it's the same way you're going to fight a bioterror attack. So I put both agencies together. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, did, we, did we get caught because we may be looking to save money on the pandemic unit in your mind? Not at all. Tim Morrison, who headed the office that included uh, coverage of pandemic, has made it very clear nothing was done away with. This whole issue came about is because there was a political appointee who was mad that Bolton reorganized these offices and she was out of a job. And she's been spreading this false story that the pandemic office was shut down and the NSC wasn't following. Who is it? It's just not true. I can't recall. Who are you referring to? The former So so she was upset. Okay. when you look at this administration right now, uh, the president's got 44 percent approval rating for the American people about how he's handled this. How would you grade him, Fred? I think he's done a very good job. And I think that his action to cut off travel from China made an enormous difference. Every Western nation made mistakes in handling this. I think when historians look at this, they'll find out President Trump did a much better job than most Western nations. He was given conflicting advice. Remember, Anthony Fauci was saying on the 29th of February that there was no reason to social district di- distance. People should keep going to movie theaters and social events. I think given the circumstances, he, he, he did a very good job. So I want you to bring it to another major issue, and that is China. We're taking the gloves off. Instead of saying, well, there's, a, there's a signs that, you know, they, they, they said our relationship's going awry, building islands, militarizing the islands, harassing our planes, trying to take over the South China Sea. Uh, We know with North Korea not reining them in. But now the gloves seem to be off. Uh, And Mike Pompeo and the president, to a degree, and his staffers are basically about to hand them a bill for what they've done to us. And Mike Pompeo said this last night, cut 44. President has done his level best to correct 40 years of appeasement of China. He's said we're going to have fair and reciprocal trade. He's imposed real costs when they've behaved badly, and that's important. We need to make sure we do the right thing for the American people. And for an awful long time, there was this theory that if we just uh, were nice to China, that their system would change and the Chinese Communist Party would begin to behave in ways that were consistent with the things that were of a benefit to America. They've cost us, uh, we had now 30 million jobs. 
Our economy's up flat on its back. It's worse than the Great Recession. And you could point to China. Are we going to hand them a bill? Senator Cotton has has accused China of criminal negligence. And I think President Trump has tried to move carefully on this. And I know U.S. ambassadors were told to back up a little bit in attacking China and its culpability for the virus. But I think the president's come to the conclusion that the circumstances of how China handled this were just so incredibly irresponsible that they allowed the virus to seed itself around the world by lying and and deceiving about how deadly it was. Um, I I think there's going to be some very serious implications for our relations with China. I I suspect if we give them a bill, they're simply not going to pay. But I think we're going to be pulling industries out of China, and we're going to address the supply supply chain issue for critical industries, especially uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, so that maybe they're not going to pay a bill, but I think they are going to pay a high price. Is there a downside to us, even though we're 100 percent right? And I really think it's beyond even debate. 100 percent right. 184 countries afflicted with this. They're still not being honest. Is there a downside to an open break and open attacks like this? I, I think there is. And I, 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 I don't think that getting into uh, a Cold War with China is in our interest. It would be better if we could somehow pressure them uh, to, to at least come clean on what happened, to close the wet markets, to allow international investigators into the Wuhan uh, biology laboratories where this virus probably uh, originated. Uh, you know, that since they're never going to pay, that would be a halfway uh, step that I, I think that might be the best we can get. Uh, but they're not going to get off scot-free right now, in my opinion. Fred, now that you have had a chance to step out away from the Trump uh, administration, what has been your observation about your years there compared to other administrations, about the way they're treated from the press, the way they act compared to uh, the Bush years or the other Bush years? What, what are your observations now that you could t- step back and look back? Well, I'm still appalled at the incredible bias against this administration, how reporters put the worst possible spin on everything the administration does. You see these coronavirus press conferences with these ludicrous questions trying to trap the question, the president on every question. But working in the administration, Brian, it was a pleasure because this president was, was basically bucking conventional wisdom and doing things that other presidents should have done, like moving a U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, getting out of the Iran deal, getting out of the Paris Climate Accord. Most presidents are simply too close to the foreign policy establishment, and they won't consider doing such things. And so many conservatives have told me, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the president's personality, but he's doing things I always wanted a U.S. president to do, and that's why I'm for him. Last exit question. Just your theory on what could be happening with North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un. Many, many experts have made predictions about going on, what's going on in North Korea and have, have come out with egg on their face people disappearing, nuclear tests, missile tests. It's hard to know. My guess is he's alive. He may be ill. The president has spoken to him, and and he's going to recover. But it could be he's hiding because he's afraid of coronavirus. But my my guess is right now is that he's not dead. All right, uh, Fred Flight's uh, fantastic. I appreciate the comprehensive uh, look at all these issues uh, plaguing America right now. Fred Flight's, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, I can take your phone calls, uh, as well as uh, go through your emails on BrianKillMe.com. Uh, busy day. We're talking China. We're talking about the sexual assault that... 
Joe Biden, hope would just go away. It's not. And Michael Flynn, days perhaps from total exoneration, even without the president perhaps stepping in. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 A busy show so far. I appreciate everybody being with us. It was great to have Fred Flights in. You forget how experienced he is, how much uh, direct knowledge he has about what's going on, and how he has to compare to other uh, how he has to compare to other administrations. His whole column was really about how he's being set up. He's hardly a conspiratorial person. He's not even he's not on the fringe left or right, but what he saw on the inside is really telling. And look, he's friends with uh, John Bolton. John Bolton's not the biggest fan of the president, I'm sure you've heard. And still, he could understands what a fundamental unfairness is. Let's go out to Oregon, where uh, in South Bend, Indiana, I should say, where William is. Uh, William's listening on 95.3. Hey, William. Brian, thanks for the call. First of all, um, I was in the middle of doing crunches when you said you don't think he's in the middle of doing setups uh, this morning. So <laughs> I kind of had to <laughs> literally, literally, I go, what in the world? So anyhow, uh, hey, you know, so the, the drive-by media was relentless in covering how bad uh, general the general was and that he did this wrong, he did that wrong. Comey was on national TV saying, how he set him up, basically, well, I just sent him over because the guard was down. The drive-by media just, again, they were relentless in covering how all this negative stuff, nobody's going to pick this up. Nobody's going to bring it up and say anything about it now. It's not the drive-by media, anyhow, other than Fox, about how all this was just all, you know, smoke and mirrors, that they were doing this to do nothing more than try and upset the, the, the candidacy. Yes. This is how like-minded we are. During TV, I was at, during Fox and Friends, I'm asking my producers, and I'm asking uh, Eric and Pete, uh, not Justin, he doesn't like me, he works the board. Uh, I'm asking them, has any other network covering the Flint story? Uh, just for that reason. Because if you have a three-star general that's taken down uh, by the FBI, that is a story for a generation, let alone a day. And when William Barr finds handwritten notes, not opinion, that is a story that would stand out at any point at any time. And I believe that it's not going to come down to the president. I believe this judge is going to vacate it. And when Michael Flynn goes to speak, he is such a blunt talker and a good communicator, he's going to shame them into covering it. And I want everyone who bought James Comey's book to mail it back to his house and just black out the whole insides. He made himself out to be a hero. He's anything but. Joe is on WDBO. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. What's Hello? in your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to point out all these tyrannical governors that are requiring citizens to shut down their businesses. They're, they're all still running their gambling business. The state lotteries are still running, preying on poor people. I'm against the lottery fundamentally to begin with. Uh, I don't do it. I don't even want to report it. But I don't know if you could say preying on poor people. Uh, I would say this. These states need money. 
They have to responsibly stand it up. And what I'm going to be looking at for uh, Joe is, are they playing politics? Are they wanting to keep Donald Trump's economy down to make Joe Biden president? And that's what I'm going to be leaning on. I'm encouraged by Democratic Governor Murphy. I'm encouraged by watching closely uh, Cuomo. I do not trust this governor of, of, of Michigan at all. She wants to be vice president. And I think she would sacrifice the people's uh, economic uh, sanity to do it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order any of my books. Now we have Thomas Jefferson the Tripoli Pirates for young readers, fourth to eighth grade. I think you'll love it. And they need something to read. After all, they're not allowed to go outside or go to school. Don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 30 million jobs lost. Not great news, but expected news. The job numbers are in. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Coming from New York, but heard around this great country called the United States of America. Today, the New Jersey governor, don't look for for him in New Jersey or Trenton. He is going to be at the White House right now. We'll be visiting the president of the United States. What's with the president of these these Democratic governors? Yesterday for Louisiana, last week for uh, Governor Cuomo of New York. In between there, they squeeze in a Republican, Ron DeSantis. We're all talking about standing up America again, and that's the good news. Little by little, we're going to go out there and compete again because we were basically told to quit and hide. Uh, So before I get to Chris Wallace, after that, Andy McCarthy, and then Betsy McCoy about what's going on uh, with the New York response to this pandemic, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Because you didn't believe uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, or you didn't believe anybody else. Stacey Abrams. I, Stacey, I am desperate to be Vice President Abrams. Presidential politics. The sexual allegation leveled on touchy-feely Joe Biden has silenced the Democrats, and they've done nothing to tamp down the story. And the Biden's camp talking points are exposed on BuzzFeed. And his supporters, by the way, read the script word for word. Number two. Why didn't we learn this before? Bob Mueller spent all this taxpayer dollars, did this big, long investigation, was supposed to be the end-all, be-all. Why didn't we learn this before? This is so wrong what they did to General Flynn, so wrong what they tried to do to the President of the United States. Uh, there you go. That is Jim Jordan uh, on, on Fox and Friends. Mike Flynn, three-star general, was the victim of an FBI takedown as notes emerged showing a plot to entrap him with more to come. Will anyone but Fox cover this? They all revealed in, they all reveled in his trial and his exile. What about now? Number one. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. What it has proven is that a drug can block this virus. Well, that was not Brad Pitt. That was actually Dr. Anthony Fauci, state by state, standing up as the president, uh, lifting restrictions. Uh, now, no longer extending the social 
distancing. Medical breakthroughs, as you just heard, have the stock market up yesterday. And who knows, as the Fed speaks, maybe up again today. But first. And now, the Brian Kilmeade Show welcomes back Mr. Sunday, the receptive voice, the king. All that and so much more. You have misplayed this so badly because we had a wonderful little thing going here. Yep. Chris Wallace. All right, are you going to do the disclaimer or am I going to do the disclaimer? No, you go ahead. Okay. When I was talking about the king, uh, I was not talking about myself. I was talking about Rush Limbaugh, and I continue to think the slogan, the receptive voice, is the most uh, idiotic uh, slogan I've ever heard. So anyway, now let's go on with our conversation. Well, the problem is, is it because you do not qualify as receptive? Because you are a headstrong a, person how, how can a that voice is not open to other. Be receptive. A mind can be receptive. An ear. How does a voice receive? Oh, you got me on that. Well, it's like a voice <laughs> and on radio. A voice Wait, is. Can I just say? Uh, can I just say that, yeah. that that silence doesn't play well on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to think. You made a good point, and I don't, you know. But I want to move on to the substance of it. First off, yes, sir. I'm reading not people's opinion. I'm sure you've looked at the notes. Catherine Herridge had it on CBS. And by the way, word is she wasn't even able to put it on our morning show, which is stunning to me. Uh, But she had this on CBS. She got the documents first. And now we're all looking at them that shows this exchange that set up Michael Flynn. Uh, Chris, from your first blush, what do you think? Uh, We're going to agree on some things in this segment. We are not going to agree on this. I think this is nothing. And I would be shocked if there is any effort to, uh, I mean, there's would be an effort, but I, if, if in fact the judge overturns, says there's a new trial, throws the case out. And let me just briefly say, wait, people forget what this was all about. Michael Flynn had spoken the day after President Obama imposed sanctions. This is during the Trump transition to the Russian ambassador. He had lied to the vice president. People forget this. The president fired Mike Flynn long before there was an there was a, a uh, and charges brought against him because he had lied to the vice president about his conversation with uh, the Russian ambassador. And Mike Pence had been on Fox News Sunday and I had another Sunday show and had said what Pence told what uh, Flynn told him, which was not the truth. So, you know, the fact that they're sitting there strategizing, but if I'm going in to do an interview, I strategize, well, how are we going to approach this? How are we going to approach that? I I just don't see how this throws out. He could have told the truth. He didn't tell the truth. And he wasn't brought up on charges. He pled guilty. Uh, A couple of things. Number one, a lot of people feel plead guilty. And you know this better than me. You've done so many more investigative stories than everyone I know except maybe Geraldo. But a lot of people plead guilty because they look at the situation and they say, wait a second, it's going to cost me how many millions? And I, there's a chance I can go to jail for such and such years. I'm going to strategy. I'm going to use, listen to my counsel and I'm going to do this. But the more he thought about it, he said this. They honestly didn't think he remembered, according to James Comey's comments to Senator Grassley. They didn't think he was not telling the truth. They think he didn't remember. That's according to Grassley. Now, Comey later said, I don't remember saying it to Grassley. Okay, now the Iowa senator is a liar. And then the FBI agent said they didn't think he was lying. Why was it that they weren't curious about the substance of the information 
They were only curious about was Michael Flynn candid. And the same president that said, look out for North Korea, said, hey, uh, President Trump, look out for Michael Flynn. Doesn't this raise the antenna of something wrong here? Why did President Trump fire him? By the time it got to the president, this had become a flourishing scandal. At that moment, he said, listen, he wasn't sure if what he said, because he was on the beach in Puerto Rico with all the calls, you can only imagine his schedule about his conversation with Kislyak. And then in retrospect, he's like, listen, I'm not going to take the fall for this. And I could see it in real life saying, hey, you know what? No, I didn't say anything. I didn't do it. Did he refer to the did he refer to sanctions? Sure. And did he refer to their relationship? Sure. Did he talk about an early summer with Vladimir Putin? Sure. Or maybe not. That is not the reason why you blow up a 33-year career. They targeted this guy. That doesn't bother you? Did they target uh, Condoleezza Rice? Did they target whoever had that job, National Security Advisor, with President Obama? Can you imagine that? Well, first of all, it wasn't just this. It was also the fact that he was acting as an unregistered foreign agent doing the bidding oh, of Turkey. You don't believe- I absolutely believe it. At the same time that he was uh, the national security advisor to the Trump campaign, to candidate Trump. That's a totally I, different issue, though. That's a to- and, that didn't get him fired. I, well, actually, that was even brought up. That was one of the things that they brought up, and and he ended up pleading guilty to this because the other thing would have been a more serious charge. And then he had top lawyers. They negotiated this deal. He was going to get off lightly. Then he decided, well, you know, now that the case is over. I'm going to fire the lawyers, and I'm going to bring in new lawyers, and they're going now to bring that, up a whole new case. I don't, yeah. I don't know that I – I mean, let me say, of all the people in the world I feel sorry for, Mike Flynn is not one of them. Wow, I, I do. I feel 180 degrees different than you. I think he is a fantastic leader, a fantastic person, had a chance to spend a lot of quality time with him. If you read his book, there's not an ounce of sympathy for the Russians, period. He did not want to even take the job. He wanted to stay in the private sector. One of his quotes to me was, I go, listen, you're so tight with Trump. I go, are you going to take this job if he offers you? He says, Brian, I've made no money. I owe it to my family to stay in the private sector for a while. And he decides to do it, and this is what happens. And here they are. If they thought that he was worthy and they were really security risk, why don't you treat, it to the way, treat him the way you might treat fat Tony Salerno of the mob? Why don't you at least go in there and let him have an attorney? Let him have representation. If you want, don't you think he deserves that much respect? Instead, here's James Comey bragging that he basically caught the administration with their pants down. Cut 20. Okay, I... I- you look at this White House now, and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the sit room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. There was process, and so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself, interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. How do you feel about that? I, I'm not, I, the answer is I'm not troubled in the least by it. it listen, if he, he lied about the conversation he had with the Russian ambassador 
Now, suddenly this guy, he's the national security advisor, but he forgot something that happened less than a month before that he basically was saying to Sergei Kislyak, the Russian, oh, you know, the Obama and those uh, those sanctions he imposed on you yesterday. Forget about it. We'll lift those as soon as it happens. And then he conveniently forgets that he said that. And then he lies to the vice president and the vice president goes on Fox News Sunday in the middle of January and says, I talked to Michael Flynn and Michael Flynn told me that never came up. Well, of course it came up. And and he lied to the vice president. He seems to, again, there are a lot of people that I feel have, you know, feel have been miscarries, miscarried of justice or had other problems and treated unfairly. And I know you're going to have Andy McCarthy, who has forgotten more about the law than I have. This guy lied. He, he, He was caught on a number of things and he pled guilty. He pled guilty. He didn't fight it. He pled guilty. And then I said, well, okay, but, you know, he was going to be, I don't know, if I was innocent, I wouldn't plead guilty to something. And if I had to I don't fight know. It, uh, put it, I'd fight it. You'd plead I, guilty? Good. Well, put it this way. It, it's, it cost him $6 million in legal fees. And, and I just want you to well, hear your, your his attorney. Work? I have already been railroaded and ambushed by the FBI. I am isolated on my own. I've averaged in my career $230,000 a year while serving 33 years in this government. And one of the things that I've done is take down Zarqawi, who McChrystal and Petraeus will say he played a prominent role in doing it. And then he decides, after spending a year in the private sector, to serve a president he just got to know. And in, the, in that, some of these crazy conversations he's having, who everyone says is in a chaotic atmosphere, they drill down on one conversation with Kislyak, and they say, did you bring this up? If you think for a second the, the re, these people on transition, like John Kerry was doing to Iranian officials, hold on for four years, he's going to lose re-election, or he's going to be impeached when it came to the Iranian deal. If you think that that casual conversation that took place with the ambassador is unique in world history, I find that hard to believe. I also think that he had so many conversations. He was told that he's not in legal trouble. FBI had no reason to call any attorneys or tell Reince Priebus. They had a whole flow chart, like a rookie salesperson, of what to say if he questions. I think you're going to turn around on this. And I think the additional documents that are promised this week are the reasons why guys like Attorney General Barr and others and Durham have their antenna raised on this. I don't think it's getting to the president. I think it's going to get thrown out before it gets to the president. I decided to tape this interview. How much you want to bet I'm right? (laughs) Uh, So now let's move on to something that we're going to agree on, which is Joe Biden. I think that Joe Biden has mishandled the Tara Reid story so unbelievably. And, you know, to have all these women come up and defend him, but he has not. And, you know, if he had denied the terror read story in the end, I don't know that we'll ever know the truth, just two people in a hall. Uh, if he had done it two weeks ago during the height of the uh, coronavirus pandemic and, and, and concern, it would have been forgotten. But now, the, you know, the concern about the virus, whether rightly or wrongly, is beginning to diminish somewhat. People are looking for other news. This thing has come out. Uh, everybody in the Democratic Party has stood by Biden, or, and Biden is hiding behind them. I find it unbelievable how he has mishandled this. It Do you agree with me on that? Uh, 
Yeah, I do. I don't want to cover a sex scandal ever in my life again. There's no winners at all. Uh, and it's everyone has their opinion as if it's a game on who's telling the truth. But we've been through this drill so many times. He's 77 years old. He's seen it up close and personal. And he thinks ignoring it and putting, check, uh, and putting out talking points is going to help him. By the way, published by BuzzFeed today. So, and now, in 2018, everybody said women must be believed, are now saying, I believe Joe Biden. They look terrible. Gillibrand, Stacey Abrams, Klobuchar, Clinton, all coming back looking like total hypocrites because they know no details of the story. But now they believe the man, which makes all their attacks on Kavanaugh look totally ridiculous. I, I, you know, I, I said, let's talk about something we're going to agree on. I completely agree with that. It was stupid not to believe in due process back in the Kavanaugh case and say, look, if a woman wants to make an allegation, yeah. she should be heard, but she shouldn't be believed. Let's see what yeah. her evidence is, what a kind of a case she can make. And there is infinitely, I'm not saying that there's proof, but there is infinitely more contemporaneous that she had yes. told other people at the time about this incident than there ever was about Christine Blasey Ford. So, uh, you know, again, I don't think she should be believed. I think she should be listened to and tested and challenged. And the vice president, Vice President Biden, should be, too. And people will make up their minds. Gotcha. We'll never know. Uh, because, Fox you know, News Sunday, just... Chris Wallace, thank you so much. You're a genius. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. See you. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I do um, uh, support Joe Biden. I'm satisfied uh, with how he has uh, responded. I know him. I was proud to endorse him the other day on Monday. Very proud to endorse him. Uh, and so I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Uh, that is still the Speaker of the House, still satisfied endorsing Joe Biden, despite the fact that he planned on ducking away without this uh, sexual assault coming up to the fray. This woman who says she's still going to vote for him is a little outraged, says there was paperwork done, there was a police report filed. First they tell him that it wasn't filed, then they say it's a dead file. And now she comes out, this Tara Reid, and says, you know, I did file it, it's probably in his background. Guess where his papers are? University of Delaware. University of Delaware, where they gave him his papers, and he was supposed to release them last year. But they're not going to release them now. Why not just give them permission, Joe Biden, to release the paperwork that isn't there? Let them go through it. It's not. Uh, meanwhile, some of your emails are coming in, everything from opening up uh, your different states. Here's from Florida. Lisa says, I live in South Florida. Every morning I watch as grown people sneak out and run to the ocean and swim for five minutes. As soon as they see a lifeguard, they run out of the beach. In the late afternoon, I see families doing the same thing. These lifeguards are like Nazi Germany. They chase people. I know for sure they can keep social distancing here in South Florida. We have long beaches. I'm an American. I can't believe that I'm doing this to this country. Our freedom has been totally taken away. God help us. For now, you're right. It's, we're done with this. We know how to act responsibly. Let's act responsibly. Enough of these governors wiping my nose and everything else. Uh, back in a moment with Andy McCarthy. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The FBI in 2016 spies on two American citizens associated with the Trump campaign. For one of those citizens, they go to the secret court, the FISA court. They take the now famous dossier, the dossier they knew was salacious and unverified, the dossier that they knew was not was not true. They use that as the basis to get the warrant to spy on one of these individuals. They don't tell the court that the dossier is Russian disinformation. They don't tell the court that it was paid for by the Clinton campaign. And they don't tell the court the guy who wrote it, Christopher Steele, had already told the Justice Department he was desperate to stop. Trump. And now we learn they go after Mike Flynn and set him up just days into the new administration. That is uh, Jim Jordan this morning on Fox and Friends. Let's bring in Andy McCarthy. Andy, I, I've been watching a lot of you. I know you said that uh, fundamentally uh, Mike Flynn w- was wrong to accept a guilty plea. I get that. But in light of these new notes that came out from a legal perspective, a motion aside, what changes? Oh, I think a lot changes, Brian. For one thing, you know, I've always thought that Sidney Powell's ultimate um, motion that she's made on behalf of Flynn to get a district judge to completely throw the case out, not just give him his plea back, I thought that was probably going to be a bridge too far for the judge. And I still think, as a matter of law, in this situation, what you would get is your plea back. That is, the judge would vacate the, the guilty plea, but would not throw the case out, because I don't know that, that that's a legal remedy for this. But if that happened, that would throw the ball in the Justice Department's court with the question, do you really want to go ahead with this case, with all the ugliness that went on here, and that would come out publicly and be a terrible black eye for the Justice Department and the FBI? in connection with a guy who should never have been investigated in the first place. And the more you see here, the more you conclude that the misconduct by the officials who did the investigating was much worse than anything Flynn was accused of doing. And I think the Justice Department's answer to that question, if they're sensible, is no, which means Flynn would get exonerated without the president having to pardon them or anything like that. So the Justice Department expects to formally respond to these allegations by May 11th? Yeah, there's a, the judge put a schedule out. Now, what's going to go on the next few days, Brian, including today, I think, is we're going to start to we're going to get more disclosures of the stuff that they held back. Uh, there may be some uh, pages today that come out, but there's also Sidney Powell got dumped on her uh, a couple of days ago. 17,500 pages that the former lawyers, quote unquote, forgot or missed uh, and didn't, you know, turn over to her before. I think a lot of that stuff is probably going to come out in the next week. But the judge's briefing schedule is uh, the government has to, um, by the 4th, they have to explain um, what they're turning over and why they didn't turn it over the first time around since he's had a pending order for a couple of years now that they're supposed to turn over all the exculpatory evidence, then I think they have the till the 11th to respond, and then Sydney would have till the 18th uh, for any reply she wanted to make. So the way this thing goes, to give refresh everyone's memory, uh, so Michael Flynn, they say, listen, you lied, he was holding out for a while, 
uh, after he got fired. Then he finally cut the deal. Uh, I think, you know, I have not spoken to him. I have exchanged uh, some messages with him. I don't know the reason why, but he, he said, I'm going to cut a deal. And now you find out his, bill, his legal bill is $6 million. So you don't make a ton of money as general. You have a lot of prestige. He's not really in the private sector more than a year. So he decides, I'm going to cut a deal. They say he's a, he's a model uh, corroborator, and they recommend probation for him. Then when he switches legal teams, they decide they're going to ask for jail. Then we watch how dismissive and, and demeaning that judge was the last time he showed up for sentencing. Is that the same judge, number one, we're seeing again? And number two is now I understand they're going to back out and ask for probation. Who's got the leverage? Well, let, let, let me fill in a few blanks there, Brian, because they're important. One of the reasons that Flynn pled guilty, I think, uh, it, is in addition to the financial ruin that he's dealt with, there's now indication, and this is from the disclosures that were made last week, that there was a secret deal in place uh, to give his son immunity from prosecution if he pled guilty, which the government wow. didn't want written into the plea agreement. So, it, it, you know, they've said all along that the way they squeezed him into pleading guilty was to threaten to prosecute the son. So I think that was a big factor in why he not only pled guilty, but then when the judge offered him to have his plea back, uh, he said no. Uh, the, that was back in 2018. The reason being, if you get your plea back, you're, you're not, it's not like the case goes away. You start at square one, which means they can prosecute you for anything they have on you, and they could have prosecuted his son. They could have done all kinds of things. So, you know, that kind of explains why Sydney has um, – pursued the path that she's pursued. She's tried to get the case thrown out because going back to square one, at least I think up until now, has not been something very attractive to General Flynn. So there's that. Um, the other thing is with this judge, there's, there's good and bad here. The, uh, you know, the, he, he conducted himself in a ridiculous way, I thought, as you, as you just mentioned in that first court appearance. On the other hand, when you plead guilty, you waive your right to all discovery, including all exculpatory information, because the benefit you get out of the deal is supposed to be, you know, the sentencing leniency and and, uh, and locking the government in on what they can charge you with. Um, with this judge, he, unlike most federal judges, has a standing order. He doesn't care what's in the plea agreement. He made the government turn over the exculpatory evidence. If he hadn't done that, we probably wouldn't be here now. Uh, and, you know, I do think this has now gotten ugly enough, and the judge is clearly telling uh, the government that they have to, you know, turn over all this information. Plus, Attorney General Barr has assigned the U.S. attorney from St. Louis, another U.S. attorney from outside Washington, to take a look at this. I think that's why you're getting a lot of disclosure that we should have had a long, long time ago. But I think there's a very good chance at this point that the judge who has already once offered Flynn to vacate his plea, I think there's a good chance that the judge will do that again and, and give Flynn his plea back. And then I don't think this Justice Department is going to want to go forward with this prosecution, which should never have been a prosecution in the first place. Now, you said something last night I wasn't aware of. You said Comey... And these guys did not recommend prosecution. 
Right. So who did? Well, yeah. The, the, the Mueller team, let me, let me give you the timeline, Brian. They interview him on, they interview Flynn on January 24th, which is a completely renegade interview. It's totally outside the protocols for going through the Justice Department, going through the White House Council. They basically did an ambush interview on this guy. We now know that This they, is where we got you know, the notes the, from. This is where the notes are from, right? right? And, and, and it's clear that they were trying to do a perjury trap on him because if, you would, if it was a, a good faith interview, you would just play the recording for the guy and ask him to interpret it for you. But that's not what they were trying to do. They were trying to, to trip him up. But anyway, that's January 24th. Um, but they end up not prosecuting Flynn. And on May, was it May 9th, Comey gets fired. May 17th, Mueller is appointed. And it's at the end of 2017, I think it was November 30th, December 1st, uh, that Mueller announced that uh, Flynn was pleading guilty. So it was not the Comey FBI and the investigation run by McCabe and Strzok and the rest of those guys who got this plea against Flynn, uh, because as, as badly as they treated Flynn, the agents, and Comey said this, McCabe said this, the agents themselves who interviewed him did not think that Flynn lied to them. It was only months later when Mueller's team took over the investigation that they squeezed him into pleading guilty. And, and not only that, on a side note, Grassley said, I remember Comey telling me, I don't think he lied. Comey goes, I don't remember that, of course. I, I don't remember that conversation, yeah. but Grassley's not really known as a liar. So, well, not, not so only this that, whole Brian, thing, this whole, when, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, when Nunes put out his report, the House Intelligence Re- Committee report, that when, when Nunes was running that committee, they quoted Comey's testimony. And he said, yes, the agents came back and they said he didn't have any of the physical manifestations of, uh, of lying. And on top of that, McCabe testified that, you know, it's not a very promising start for a false statements case when the guys who interview him didn't think he lied. So this whole thing went to Mueller, and Mueller brought this forward. They want to get more information from him, thinking that he knows the big deal that Trump was cutting with Putin behind the scenes. Clearly, there was no deal. No one found a deal, and it didn't exist. And maybe when he went up to the vice president and said, did you have this conversation, he was telling the truth when he said no. Yeah, I think, Brian, by the time they squeezed uh, General Flynn... What was going on in their mind was they knew the Russia thing was just complete nonsense, and they were hoping wow. to build a an obstruction of justice case against Trump, and they saw Flynn okay, as a building okay. block to that. I don't pretend to be uh, to have 37 years in the State Department of uh, diplomatic experience, but you can't tell me in transition. When you're getting ready to take office, there aren't people on your soon-to-be uh, cabinet that talk to other countries. Hey, Ecuador, we're going to go easier on the hey guys. We're going right. to be easier on the border for you. Hey, uh, Finland, we're going to be able to put. I'm thinking about moving a naval base there. I'm not too secure. You don't got to tell me that some of those conversations don't go on, and don't tell me it's not in 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 the letter of the law. It might be wrong, but when you hit Russia with sanctions. In the back of your mind, you Michael Flynn, like, listen, I'm looking for a fresh start with you guys, kind of like Barack Obama was. So if that came up, that's called the real world as opposed to the fantasy world. If it did come up, I'm not offended. 
I don't think Donald Trump sold out to Vladimir Putin because uh, some hookers danced on Obama's would-be hotel bed. This is the craziest thing ever. And the thing that grounds me is a life has been ruined, at least for now. Yeah, Brian, the only thing I would add to that is I don't even think this is outside the letter of the law. This is what's supposed to happen. Flynn was a transition official who was supposed to become the national security advisor. His job was to be communicating with other countries on behalf of the president-elect. There was nothing wrong with that. To the extent they've cited the Logan Act, that's preposterous. The Logan Act is unconstitutional. The Justice Department hasn't even tried to use it since 1852, and no one's ever been prosecuted for it successfully. I have news for you. Um, Chris Wallace vehemently disagrees with you, Uh, but he also said you're a lot smarter than him. Uh, That was before. (laughs) He doesn't think there's anything there. So I just want you to be prepared next next year on the network show. Andy, thanks for spelling it out that even I can understand it. And I can't wait for the new documents uh, to find out what else is there. Thank you. When we come back, inside how New York has handled this pandemic. I know about the governor's communication ability and his conversational and great way about him. But what about the mayor and governor and what's actually been done and not done? Betsy McCoy, former lieutenant governor of New York, chair one of the committee to reduce infection deaths, joins us. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So uh, Betsy McCoy joins us now. She's former lieutenant governor of New York and chairwoman of the Committee to Reduce Infectious Deaths, one of the smartest people uh, you'll be around who does more extensive work on issues that matter most than most people I I know. And the title of her latest column really struck me. Uh, The facts on who's most endangered show many of us can get back to work. Betsy, welcome back to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, thank you. It's great to be on with you. And and I hope we really can offer assurances to people because the statistics show that it's tragic, but most of the people who are at risk are over 65 or have serious underlying health conditions. In fact, even in New York, which is really the hot zone for this pandemic, Over 98% of the people who have died from coronavirus have been over 65 or had an underlying serious health condition like diabetes or hypertension. So most healthy younger people can go back to work. You do have other things. I mean, the big story over the weekend was uh, people in their 40s are are getting hit by strokes. We have heard that. Are those alarmists? They only had 36 people they were discussing there. 36 is a small number. Uh, Of course, there are some flukes to this virus, but in general, the data show that this is not a death risk for people under 65 who need to go back to work. And, And Brian, you know, America's got to get back to work. We are at much more serious risk of people dying from the shutdown than from the virus. More Look at those lines of people lining up shutdown. for food. Pardon me? You're right. Look at the people, the lines of people lined up just to get food for their well, families. We know, the first we time know unemployed. Every, 
every 1% uptick in unemployment produces a 3.3% uptick in drug overdose deaths, a 1% uptick in uh, deaths related to suicide, a serious increase in deaths related to alcohol poisoning, in deaths related to heart attacks. When you add all of this up, the danger of dying from getting laid off is bigger than the danger of dying from the virus. Right now in New York, hospitalizations, deaths, and intubations are all going down. Uh, the other thing, there was 330 deaths on uh, Tuesday. Today we'll get an update on what happened on Wednesday. There are hospitalizations. Uh, there are about 1,000 people have to be hospitalized, but so many people aren't going to the hospitals because they're told, you know, if you don't have corona or they choose not to, put themselves in trouble. Betsy, how has the governor handled this so far? Well, and the uh, mayor. you're talking about Governor Cuomo. And he yes. has made some... He's got a lot of blood on his hands. I ha- you know, I'm rooting for him because I've been in a similar position, and I would like to see him succeed. But he made some very serious mistakes. One, of course, a long time ago when his health department didn't order the ventilators they could have bought. But then more recently, mandating that nursing homes accept patients out of the hospital who have been treated for the coronavirus. This was a really deadly decision. It goes against everything that we learn in infection control. When you have a serious uh, pandemic like this, you identify the people who are infected and you isolate them. He did just the opposite. What he did was he said nursing homes are not allowed to test and they have to take anybody. So the result is that these nursing homes, which were totally unprepared for the coronavirus, became death pits. And we had a lot of warning because the same thing happened in Italy and Spain where over half the deaths were in nursing homes. I just got the latest data, Brian, even in Pennsylvania, 64% of deaths are in nursing homes. Wow, and we know the number's extraordinarily high in New Jersey too. Betsy, so the last, last word. We should open up, get back to work, go back to restaurants? We have the technologies to make people safe. In the workplace, I read the guidelines from the CDC. It's like out of the 1950s. We can put uh, devices in the HVAC systems in these office towers that deactivate viruses and remove the burden of viral traces on surfaces. We have antimicrobial keyboards and and computer mice. We've got to find a way to get the economy going. Betsy McCoy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, guys. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being with us all week and throughout this whole pandemic and hopefully forever. Uh, Jenna Liu rejoin us. We haven't talked to her in a while. She's now left uh, Fox Business, Fox News, and gone down to Texas, started her own Smarter News. Uh, great consolidation site with the original content. I want to find out what's happening in Texas, so i got to go to her. And Ben Dominique will be with us, publisher of The Federalist. Uh, he wants to, I want him to weigh in on uh, the whole Michael Flynn situation and where we're at with this pandemic. I get the sense American people are fed up, we're done. And this California thing, where the governor came out and said, I'm so angry that you went to the beach over the weekend, 
I'm, I'm closing all the beaches. Good luck. Now law enforcement has to tell Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Santa Monica Beach, tell everybody you're shut out. Bring a lot of tickets. Let's get to the big three. The stories you need to know. It's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. Oh, okay. Nice. Presidential politics. The sexual assault allegation leveled on touchy-feely Joe Biden has silenced the Democrats, and they've done nothing to tamp down the story. The Biden camp's talking points exposed on BuzzFeed, and the supporters, it turns out, read the whole thing verbatim. Number two. Why didn't we learn this before? Bob Mueller spent all this taxpayer dollars, did this big, long investigation, was supposed to be the end-all, be-all. Why didn't we learn this before? This is so wrong what they did to General Flynn, so wrong what they tried to do to the President of the United States. Wow, Michael Flynn, three-star general, was the victim of an FBI takedown in my mind as notes emerged, showing a plot to entrap him with more to come. As soon as today, will anyone but Fox cover this? They all reveled in his trial and his exile. Number one. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. What it has proven is that a drug can block this virus. Wow, and they're talking about remdesivir. Dr. Anthony Fauci, we're going to give you the state-by-state standing up, presidential restrictions letting up, and the medical breakthrough you just heard about. So remdesivir is giving people a lot of promise and a lot of hope. So much, I think the market went up uh, 300 points when word came out that remdesivir was deemed effective by a man that America trusts, and that's Anthony Fauci. We should just keep in mind with Anthony Fauci, in late January and late February, he did not think that this virus was going to be a big deal. I'm really not sure why Donald Trump has to always take a a pounding for not acting quicker. But Anthony Fauci, who does this for a living, doesn't. It makes no sense to me. But the medical advances are are plenty. Uh, Fauci says that this this experimental drug treatment has produced in a shortened recovery time, a shortened recovery time for those who are afflicted with the virus. They have a double-blind study that that gave a lot of promise. So he's now touting that where he ran down hydroxychloroquine uh, pretty consistently. So we'll talk about that and also talk about us standing up our country again. And a lot of it has to do, if we want it to work, we got to get this stuff, but remdesivir has got to be used. But North Dakota opened up restaurants, recreational health facilities, salons, personal care. Uh, Alabama retail stores to open, 50% occupancy. And tomorrow, huge day, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 17 states will have some type of partial opening. And the president says, I will not stop you. Cut to. The current guidelines, I think you can say, are very much incorporated in the guidance that we're giving states uh, to open up America again. But maybe, Mr. Yeah, President, and I Dr. think Burks. a way of saying it, will, they'll be fading out because now the governors are doing it. I've had many calls from governors, uh, governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, and many, many governors, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas. We're speaking to a lot of different people. And they're explaining what they're doing, and I'm, I am very much in favor of what they're doing. They're getting it going, and uh, we're opening our country again. Uh, we are, and we got to do it. And listen, there's going to be a risk. There's going to be times when people are going to say, XYZ City is getting a hot spot, or we saw a bunch of people hanging out tight, but for the most part, we'll do it right. And number two, we don't have a choice, because the economic peril we're in, we cannot bring down 
We can't be on part of a generation that brings down a superpower itself. We did this to ourselves because China had a virus. And that in the big picture is how they're going to write it. Our staying in place is not heroic. Staying in place is necessary, but it's not heroic. Heroic is signing up for war, grabbing a gun, grabbing a uniform, and going overseas. Whether you're Yogi Bearer or the 18-year-old kid down the block, you were going. This is just as damaging. 58,000, 60,000 have already lost their lives, but we're doing it standing around, almost waiting to become a victim, being told that standing around is something we need to do. But things are changing. For example, in New York, cut six, Governor Cuomo. On elective surgeries, we had canceled all elective surgeries so we could have increased capacity in the hospitals. When you cancel elective surgeries, hospitals feel a financial pinch because that's where they make their money is on elective surgeries. So for areas that don't have a fear of a COVID surge, we're going to allow elective surgeries to begin. That's yeah, primarily so, in counties upstate. Yeah, upstate. But listen, Nassau and Suffolk are like 12 straight days of decreasing numbers. Now, even in New Jersey, where the very cautious Philip Murphy is, cut seven. The curves on hospitalizations and whatnot have begun to get better for us. And, and when you add the mental health challenges, we said, you know what, let's open them up this weekend, but let's make sure everybody plays ball. So this is a real test case for us. You know, golfing at distance, no more than one person in a car, lots of other golf protocols in the state park, no team sports, social distancing. Boy, I would love you to wear a face covering, uh, but let's allow folks to take a little steam out of this, but at the same time be responsible. If this weekend goes well, the weather's going to be good here. Uh, that hopefully can portend to other steps that we could take not too far down the road. And that's what we hope for, but not the situation in California. Do you know what this guy's doing? Governor Newsom has decided because last week he claims there was uh, people acting irresponsibly. I guess it looked like people were kind of close from the distance from the camera shots I saw. So he's closing all the beaches. How dare he? He says, well, there was a surge in cases. I doubt it. If there was surge in numbers, I mean, that means you got to go to the beach, run a fever, and run right to the hospital. I thought it takes two or three days to actually germinate in your body, for lack of a better term. And then you say, maybe I got it. Maybe in a week or two, you could see it. But I mean, I just, these people have so overstepped their rights. We're past it. And I'm telling you, I guess the stats say people are patient. Nobody I talk to is patient to wait out something while a country gets destroyed. So that's what, uh, that's what uh, California is doing. Very curious about Florida. Here's what Governor Ron DeSantis announced yesterday. Cut four. This new phase will start on Monday, May 4th. For the time being, exclude Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. These counties have seen the lion's share of the state's epidemic, but they are trending in a positive direction. I am working with them and will continue to work with them, and I do believe that they will be able to move to phase one uh, very soon. We will get Florida back on its feet by using an approach that is safe, smart, and step-by-step. Yeah, listen, he's been calling it right so far, Ron DeSantis. I know people are disappointed in those areas, but it's understood. But in northern Florida, in Tallahassee, in Jacksonville, and in Orlando, central Florida, it just doesn't seem to be the case. 1-866-408-7669, you can let me know. Uh, Coming up next is the Federalist Zone, uh, Ben Dominique. 
uh, publisher of The Federalist. He's going to be coming shortly. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, the James Co- the Michael Flynn situation, the more you look at the Comey, uh, the Comey cast of clowns, the more you just distrust what they've done. And if you're an FBI fan or an employee or a family member, you must be outraged. It looks like they're plotting and planning to take down the incoming National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, who I've just been enlightened by Andy McCarthy in a previous hour. He, one of the reasons he cut a deal is to save his son from any type of prosecution. Who wouldn't do that? When they talk about a conversation that he had, Andy McCarthy, among others, don't even think it was wrong for him to take a call from the ambassador before he actually took officially took the job on that beach in Puerto Rico. And he said he didn't lie. Comey didn't think he lied. And he told Grassley didn't think he lied. But a life's been ruined. Six million dollars legal fees have been racked up. And then yesterday it was exposed. The handwritten notes among FBI agents like Strzok, McCabe, Page and um, Priestep about them plotting and planning to go in and get Flynn to answer questions and set him up to tell a lie they claim without a lawyer present, without even telling Reince Priebus, who is the incoming chief of staff. They did it. James Comey bragged about it. He bragged about it when his book came out in December 2018, Cut 20. You look at this White House now and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the sit room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough Let's just send a couple guys over. And they set him up. They caught him. They told him he wasn't in trouble. And they were setting him up. I would not be surprised if it comes out that the FBI actually put that story, leaked that story to the Washington Post to set up interest in talking to Michael Flynn and setting up a meeting just like they did in order to get rid of him in an effort to take everybody away from Donald Trump before he could even get his administration uh, standing up and going. By the way, you talk about double standards. You talk to Mayor de Blasio, tell everyone don't go outside for too long. He travels 11 miles to go to a park where he can walk through a park with his wife, but we can't. And then we watch Tucker Carlson last night found video of Barack Obama playing in a course that he was told not to play in by the governor of Virginia. Everybody else has got to stay home, but not the former president of the United States, while his wife is cutting PSAs talking about the need to stay home. That's the double and triple standard that people go crazy about, and I am one of them. When we come back, I talk to Ben Dominici about that and so much more, and then Jenna Lee, and then you. Don't move, Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. She has come forward, she has spoken, uh, and they've done an investigation in several outlets. Vice President Biden has vehemently denied these allegations, and I support Vice President Biden. I believe that women deserve to be heard, but I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated. 
by credible sources. I believe Joe Biden. This woman has a right to tell her story. I can only speak to the Joe Biden I know. He's He's been a lifelong fighter in, in terms of stopping violence against women. And there you go. Uh, women who want to be the next vice president uh, and certainly want to be a running mate of Joe Biden, defending him without knowing any facts of the case, but reading the talking points given to them by the Biden camp. Unbelievable where two years earlier they were saying that women have to be believed when it came to Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, I can't imagine Joe Biden going throughout today or tomorrow without addressing uh, these allegations uh, launched on all of us by Tara Reid, who I believe will still vote for him. Ben Dominich joins us now, publisher of The Federalist. Ben, I want to get to this whole legal problem you were in because people can really relate to it. But I got to get your take on this. Are you surprised the Biden Mm -hmm. camp, and there is no other place for leading Democrats to go, the Biden camp, would decide to not say anything in handling these allegations? I, I think this is really disturbing, frankly, that they weren't prepared for these allegations. Uh, it, it's really uh, depressing to me, frankly, uh, because I don't think that uh, Joe Biden has never come off to me as someone who was uh, a sexual predator or would behave in this way. He doesn't have that reputation. Uh, but I don't think they're taking it all that seriously. And I think that that's a real problem. I mean, for instance, he just announced his vice presidential search committee today. And you know who's leading it? Chris Dodd, who, if you don't know who he is, I mean, the, the third or fourth thing that will come up when you Google his name is Waitress Sandwich, when he you know, threw a uh, uh, waitress in between himself and, and Ted Kennedy in an infamous incident in, in a Washington restaurant years ago. I mean, it, 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 this is a situation where the Biden campaign absolutely needs to release the papers from his Senate period to prove that there was not a complaint filed against him if they can. That's what Tara Reid says happened. It says that uh, and she says that very definitively, if the Biden campaign, uh, you know, has has any competence to it, they would release those documents so that we would be able to judge it for ourselves. If there's no complaint there, it doesn't mean that the thing didn't happen, but it does affect the way that we would view her story. The fact that they haven't released those things, though, I think it's sending a, a current through Washington, D.C., of people who are very worried that this might be real and that this might be a situation uh, that, frankly, Biden has just skated on all these years which would be very disturbing for a lot of different reasons. Uh, It would, uh, because two years ago, all women have to be believed. Remember this? Mm -hmm. The same people you just heard defend Joe Biden without knowing a thing about the case said this. Cut 36. Well, the question is, do we value women? And that's the fundamental question. Do we believe women? Do we give them an ability to tell their story, to be heard, to have some measure of accountability? You have to do what's right, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Right. Stacey Abrams, cut 37. I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. And keep in mind, the New York Times did something extraordinary. They said, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, We never said the accusations were incredible. Uh, They said they they didn't accurately suggest the investigation. They said in a statement Wednesday, the Times noted the investigation made no conclusion either way and listed some disturbing things in the story. It's not even good talking points. You know, it's it's just ridiculous for them to be to, to try to advance that talking point. I, I do have to say, is is there anybody who has you know more balls in this moment than Stacey Abrams? Just like demanding a job, she has no right to demand. <laughs> you know, and, and just like, I mean, it's it's. I mean, come on, you know, gotta, a gotta state give her senator and a failed governor. 
Yeah, Ben, let's talk about your situation. Uh, you said you got sued for a joke on Twitter uh, about yeah. Vox when they had a walkout. Real quick, sum up why this matters. Here's why it matters. Uh, because if I told you that someone who you never knew, who never worked for you, never was an employee, had the ability to reach out and in just a few minutes in a filing, uh, create something that would bring the entire weight of the federal government down on you, subpoena every email you sent to your staff, every text message, every communication, uh, haul them in front of potentially you know a, a, a court in a different state where they would have to spend money to travel and hire their own lawyers, threaten the entirety of your existence as a company because of a joke that they disliked that you made on social media, I think you'd be pretty surprised that the country I'm talking about is America. And to me, I think this is something, you know, an area where it's worth taking a stand, even in something as small as, as fighting something like this, where the bureaucrats say, well, just, you know, just take a deal and, and walk away. Uh, this is something where I'm going to continue to fight. And, and I think that people should be able to make jokes about anything they want, including unionization. Uh, and it's, it's, but it's about something more than that. It's about how powerful we've made bureaucrats in this country and agencies in this country to be able to reach in to the lives that we have. And I'm doing it on the part of, frankly, a lot of small businesses across the country led by people who don't have the connections that I do or the relationships with strong attorneys like I do. So that's why I'm going to the fight. It's why I put out that Wall Street Journal piece, and I'll continue to update folks as things proceed. Great. Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, a deep thinker. Ben, thanks so much. Great to be with you as always. Jenna Lee, founder of Smarter News, former anchor here, next, then you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We know that all retail can open up. We need to get back to business, allow everybody to sell their goods at 25%. We know that's not good enough, but if we can do this and prove that we can do it for two weeks, then we can take the next step and open up at 50% capacity. And if we can continue to contain the spread, we can open up all the way. One step at a time, making sure we put safety first. All right. uh, That is the governor of Texas talking about the incremental opening of his state which in many cases are getting very impatient uh, because especially in rural areas where it really is not a big problem. But let's get to the heart of the matter with a Texas resident who used to be a New York resident, founder of Smarter News, former Fox anchor Jenna Lee. Jenna, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's great to talk to you. How are you holding up? Good. I mean, you got, you're the one with the three little kids in a very close environment. How are you keeping them entertained? Are you teaching? <laughs> You know what? This is why I'm so thankful for our friendship and for you inviting me on the show, because you've given me an excuse for the next, you know, 15 minutes just to lock myself in my bedroom while they play with Play-Doh. <laughs> They're supervised. Don't worry. Everyone's safe. Everyone's good. Uh, it certainly has been challenging. I mean, this has been a really challenging time in so many different ways for so many families. So we consider ourselves lucky. You know, I did live in New York for more than a decade. I think having three kids in an apartment in New York City right now would be extremely difficult. So uh, we're counting our blessings here in Texas. So do you think we did the right thing, sheltering in place? And what, as far as as a country, as a country, as a country. 
You know, I think it's hard to, I think it's really hard to know, Brian. You know, I really like to stick close to the facts. And I think one of the things I've been really reflecting on is just how much information has evolved over the last 100 days. You know, it's been 100 days since the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in America. We've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. We've reversed a lot of what we've learned. And, you know, my husband talks a lot about this with his, his leadership company and, and making decisions on the battlefield as a Navy SEAL. You have to operate with the best information you have at the time. And that's all you can do. You're never going to have the perfect information for the perfect solution. You hope to get there eventually. But, you know, we're really in the process. And I think it's tough to know what's right and wrong at this point. I mean, you have Sweden doing it. One thing, they didn't shut down their country, but their fatalities are higher than Norway. But how many people did not lose their lives through, uh, uh, through depression, through suicide, through drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all the things that seem to be happening? The more you lock people up and stand in place, as they see, in some cases, their life disappear. So it's tough to say what's going on. The president just tweeted out Sweden did not do it right. So, uh, you know, he doesn't have any second thoughts. You know, it's interesting. I I had an interview with a researcher out of Stanford University, Dr. Michael Lynn. And one of the things we talked about recently was the use of masks and what a big decision that was at the beginning to tell Americans not to wear masks at all. And one of the storylines that I'm really looking to follow, not just in the reflection of the past, but also moving ahead is, If we were told to wear masks initially, could that have prevented shutting down the economy overall? You know, and how much further ahead would we be in just being more comfortable with that? Listen, I'm not comfortable with wearing a mask. I find it difficult, you know. Uh, You should have seen me the other day trying to pull up my mask while I was pumping gas with my kids in the car. I mean, it was just like, you know, it's a crazy time. But I think, you know, that's something to to at least consider as we're moving ahead to the back half of the year, you know, this was such a huge effort to shut everything down. Could we, by taking a a very, you know, doing something very simple, um, prevented doing something so drastic? And, you know, we may not have known in the past 100 days, but should we think about that moving ahead? All right. So here's some good news. Out of nowhere, Dr. Anthony Fauci says this about remdesivir as a, as a therapy cut 11. The Data and Safety Monitoring Board on Monday afternoon contacted me on April 27th, first on Friday, the week before, and then again on April 27th, and notified the study team, namely the multiple investigators who are doing the study throughout the world, that the data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. This is really quite important for a number of reasons, and I'll give you the data. It's highly significant. So he goes on to give the data, and, you know, this is a guy that says it's going to take time, it's going to be a study, and we're we're making progress. But people were surprised by that. The market went up 300 points. But how remdesivir is going to be mass-produced. Right. Mass produced. How much is it going to cost? That's these are some real practical things that we have to consider. I think the biggest thing coming out of the press conference yesterday was his optimism that seeing the results of the study wasn't just important for for the, the drug in specifically, although it was, you know, we do know something that blocks at least the evolving nature of the coronavirus in the body. That's what at least it's signifying at this time. What's bigger is to show that there is some positive results where other antivirals might actually work as well. And that just will, you know, ignite a certain energy in the field to continue to do the studies that we need to do. Because the truth is we don't just want one solution, one treatment. We want many. 
And so that's why yesterday was so critical. And before I move on from this, uh, you don't have to tell me your exact address, but give an idea of what's, what city you're in for people listening around the country uh, and what it's like around you. I, I mean, what the numbers are look, looking like. Well, right now, you're right. I would never give you my exact address because heaven knows when you might just show up at our front door, exactly. Brian, and I can't, I can't just, I can't take and that I know you would never let me in. <laughs> at this time. Yeah. We live right outside of Austin. Uh, we have, you know, compared to New York, everything pales in comparison to New York. So we definitely do not have as many cases in the New York metropolitan area. That said, this has con- considerably changed lives uh, as we know it here. Um, I don't go to the grocery store anymore. My husband does. He's the only one really making errands outside the house. Other families are following that. So although we live in a more spread out area, we're not in the density of the city. You know, everything has changed. Traffic has changed. Uh, the way that we're living our lives is completely changed. And like I mentioned, it's great to have the backyard and it's able to get out and move about. Uh, and the cases are lower. You know, we're, we're in the hundreds of cases versus the tens of thousands of cases. You know, but that said, there's still an unease about what's to come over the next several weeks. So do you think people are getting antsy by you, uh, willing to take the risk? You know, I don't know. I actually, I really don't know the answer to that, Brian. I think some of, you know, as we've talked to our friends, I think there's a tentative optimism that we can start getting together again somewhat. But I think there's also a realization that the current state that we're in isn't really going to change that much. And, you know, we're lucky. We're, we're able to drive up and get takeout food. We're able to stay in our cars. You know, not everyone's able to do that everywhere. And so I think people have really gotten creative in the way that they are socializing if they're doing it at all. And quite frankly, we haven't. You know, I think the way that we're going to apply it as a family is just to slow down. You know, seeing three or four different groups of friends over a week period, as we normally would with school and classes and work, isn't going to cut it right now. And so, you know, that's, I think that's kind of how we're, we're going to apply it. Yeah, I'm done with it. Um, we're, we're, I'm ready to take it on. You have a Navy SEAL who now has to go to the supermarket, uh, and he's considered <laughs> the brave one. I mean, what the hell is going on? What's happening to our country? Well, you know, <laughs> we got to send mean, a Navy SEAL way. to pick up bread. <laughs> you know, I think my husband Come on. enjoys those trips. I think he enjoys it. It's like his moment of quiet. Of course. You know, yeah, that's not normal. It to, is not normal. It's not. Listen, it's not normal. And I think our, listen, our family has a family business that's been severely affected by this. This is, so you're right. I mean, have we lost some patience with it? You know, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I think... I think there's also this realization as as much as we have learned, I think there's still a realization that, Hey, in the next hundred days, we're even going to have more information that we can apply. So, you know, are you going to, you know, break right now or are you going to just kind of wait uh, a little bit longer? And if, if it's not, you know, putting you in a great deal of pain to wait a little bit, I think that's how we're looking at it. Um, that said, I think as your description of getting antsy is accurate. And it's really hard. I mean, we're even, how do I see my family in California? You know, when am I next going to see my parents? My kids are going to see their grandparents. How do we actually get there? What does that actually look like? What if my parents got sick? How would I get to them? You know, these know. are real, I mean, these are real, real world questions that are like, how do we even do that now? You know, and well, now how about that this? Airlines do you see what they're required- doing in California? They're, 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 well, yes. they're now shutting down the beaches as punishment for going to the beach. What kind of country? Yeah. What is going on in this country? 
Send a few, well, send a few officers, patrol monitors out there and say, hey, guys, we need you to separate. Uh, I, you know, I heard you. I saw you touch each other's elbow. That can't happen. Uh, <laughs> separate a little bit. Uh, and that's it. So, you know what? We'll see. You know I got to get to. Yeah. But I was just going to say, I think Go this ahead. is the point of reckoning that's actually having us ask a lot of questions about civil liberties and, and, and in, in general, you know, what does it look like to live in America right now? And I think the challenges around those questions and trying to get to answers will eventually lead to better results. I mean, that's my faith in it. Gotcha. Uh, so lastly, on this um, situation with Joe Biden, 1993, as a sexual assault claim, the woman comes forward, says, I'm still probably going to vote for him, but he definitely assaulted me. Had a neighbor come forward and said, yeah, she told me that then. The mom called into Larry King. You have that. Are you surprised that Joe Biden, as a Democratic nominee, has not even said a word on this? Well, I don't know if I'm surprised. I think one of the challenges that we've faced at Smarter News is how to how to cover these different allegations. And it's my understanding that she ended up filing a police report in the D.C. area. Isn't that yes. correct, Brian, that she in order to kind of uh, get herself protection because of certain threats, you know, in that that's an, that's something actionable as a public record. And I think at that point, it becomes more difficult in any sort of role of authority not to say anything. I'm not necessarily surprised. Um, because I think this is a this is a really difficult story for the campaign, especially with how outspoken Democrats have been about the Me Too movement in, in relation to someone that's in the presidency. Do you remember women have to be believed? How dare you? And the same people are doing that say, I don't really know anything about the case, but I think he's 100 percent innocent. There's certainly a double standard. You know, there's certainly a double standard that I think is it, you know, shouldn't be ignored. Yeah. And my question as a journalist is where does this story go from here? If he doesn't end up saying anything, how does this become, how does this evolve? And I'm curious, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, So I think at this point we have to just follow the facts as they come out. And there's an interesting growing body of evidence that at least is moving the story along, meaning it's not stopping with one allegation, Brian. And so I think that's that's more reason to pay attention and, you know, and see where it goes from here. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, yeah, I guess we'll see where it goes from here, because I think he's got to speak on it uh, to actually uh, get over it. And it's just amazing if it's going to go another week without him saying anything about it, because it puts these people who want to be his vice president in an impossible spot. Lastly, when you talk about who's to blame, it's China. When you talk about where it came from, it's Wuchan. So when they're not liking all the pressure we're putting on China and the blame we're pointing, listen to this as an explanation of why America's wrong to be blaming them. This is their vice foreign minister, Cut 41. Those claims are preposterous. They present an out-and-out political farce. First of all, asking China to make reparations or these kind of claims, they have no legal basis. There is no international law that supports blaming a country for simply being the first to report a disease. Exactly. They deserve a medal. They were the first to report the disease that started in their own country that would inflict pain on 184 nations. We actually should give them credit. What were we thinking? Well, you know, and that's actually that's actually false what they say about reporting. You know, when we think reporting, we think, oh, they they raised the red flags to the World Health Organization. Just last week, the World Health Organization described what happened. And actually, the Wuhan Health Department published a public notice about this outbreak in the area that then the World Health Organization saw. And so it wasn't an aggressive move by China to suddenly alert everybody. That's a, that's just false. 
And I think that, I mean, that tells you a lot right there, Brian, about about what's going on uh, and the lack of really solid, trustworthy information coming out of China. Now, we know it, it, it's gone beyond that, but how, how helpful would some of that information have been? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm starting to think we can't trust the communist country. Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, what a mess. They better write us a big check. Uh, thanks a lot, Jen. I enjoyed talking to you. I hopefully you'll get your freedom soon. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Smarter News, the place to find out uh, what's on uh, Jenna's mind. Jenna Lee, we come back. Your turn, one 408 It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If somebody wants to stay in the house, that's, that's great. They should be allowed to stay in the house and they should not be compelled to leave. But to say that they cannot leave their house um, and they will be arrested if they do, this is, this, is a, this, is, this, is a, this is fascist. This is not democratic. This is not freedom. Give people back their goddamn freedom. Elon Musk, and by the way, Tesla stock still went up. He's 100% right. Uh, there's something wrong about a governor saying, now I'm closing the beaches because you didn't act right. You're not raising me. You've already explained what's going on. We get it. We'll never have to be explained to it again. I am totally against these restrictions, uh, these crackdowns. Uh, it's out of control. Costco says if you want to shop there, wear a mask, that's different, as opposed to stay home. Uh, go out for a little while, but I want you back home again. In Minneapolis, they didn't like the fact that kids were shooting baskets so they took down all the rims and the nets on the tennis courts. It's with these people. Um, let's go out to take a few calls and we'll find out if there's more to know. Uh, David, WDBO, real quick, David, what's on your mind? Hey, I was just thinking the other day that, you know, the House of Representatives worked during the uh, World War II when they had to worry about, you know, assassins and saboteurs. How come they can't work now with the virus? 100%. Dan Crenshaw said this morning that it's cowardice. Why is the Senate there? Why isn't the House there? Don't tell them they have no system to work remotely. It's not like they're choosing to do a Zoom call uh, and vote. They have no system. So our country will not be tended to because the House doesn't see themselves as essential workers. An embarrassment. Natalie, listen on WLAD. Natalie, Danbury, Connecticut. Hi. Um, I wanted to just... Um uh, share with you that I'm a self-employed hairdresser for 20 years now, and I'm in Danbury, yep. Connecticut. I work out of Newtown. Okay, so we haven't worked since March 20th. I haven't gotten any unemployment. I haven't gotten a stimulus, and we're not due to go back until May 20th, and I don't hear anybody addressing us self-employed people. Um, you know, they talk on I the believe news. You are, I would walk into a bank and, describe, and tell your situation with your paperwork. I do believe self-employed are tended to, just like gig workers are. But uh, I, will, I will inquire about that, Natalie, because we're supposed to have Marco Rubio again soon. Thank you. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, this just in. Unmarried women see a lack of economically attractive men. Cornell University doing a great study, probably using some of the money they got from the PPP program. Uh, they're looking at the, they say, according to the study, women desired men that had an average earning potential of about 58% higher than them. In addition, the ideal husbands were 30% more likely to be employed and 90% more likely to have a college degree than currently are available to women. Sorry about that. Next. You want to play in a park in Sweden? Pick another park. 
They have decided to drop a ton of chicken manure in a central park because people wouldn't stop congregating there. Nice move. Classy. Next. Costco requires all shoppers to wear face masks. New rule does not apply to children. Good move. And Costco, Walmart, and Kroger, Trader Joe's, grossly inflated the price of eggs during the coronavirus pandemic. And Andrew Cuomo goes after Mitch McConnell, saying that New York bails out all those smaller states because they give more money to the federal government than they receive. Therefore, they need more bailout money. I think they'll get it, but they'll have to give something up first. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.